Please give your attention to God's word as I read Psalm 122. Would you stand with me if you're willing and able? I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. And there thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they who be secure, may they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. Psalm 122 comes after Psalm 121, which comes after Psalm 120. Psalm 120 is a picture of trial. Psalm 121 is a picture of journey. And in Psalm 122, please hear me, dear brothers and sisters, is a psalm of arrival at last. Here we have come to the house of Zion. And I want you to imagine with me in your mind the images that come to you when I say this word. What images come to your mind when I say this word? Worship. Close your eyes. And what are the images that come to your mind when I say the word worship? You got them? Now mentally set those to the side just for a moment, and I'm going to give you another word, and I want you to think of the images that come to mind when I say that word. Here's the word. Church. What images come to your mind when I say the word church? You got them? Now bring them both together. Put them side by side in ledgers. Are they the same? Are they different? When I say the word worship, many people in, our, in Tulsa and many people in Owasso, even many people at Trinity, when they think of worship, they'll think of music. They'll think of uh, liturgy, of, perhaps of dancing, perhaps of um, uh, the joy and the freedom that comes from worship with the one true God. They think of delight. But when I say the word church, sometimes an altogether different image comes to mind, doesn't it? Sometimes people think of, when I say church, I think of people, which elicits two different kinds of uh, Feelings. Sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it's hurtful. When I think church, when I say church, sometimes people think of capital campaigns and giving and buildings and long sermons after we've been outside and we're hot. Are those words different in your mind? Worship and church. And in the next five minutes, I'm going to try to bring those words closer together. Because in Psalm 122, you have a picture of all of Israel gathering together to worship the one true God at church, at the temple in Jerusalem. So lower your eyes to the text, and I want you to see in verses 1 to 2, the pool to God's presence, and 3 to 5, the people in God's presence, and in verses 6 to 9, the prayer of God's people. 
I know time is short. Please hear me. Please prepare your hearts for the supper and do not be distracted by all the things you're thinking about that are going to come for your day after worship. Allow the Holy Spirit to draw you into his word. Psalm 122 verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And the house of the Lord, of course, was the temple in Jerusalem. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was always a rallying cry for the people of Israel. All throughout the Old Testament, it was the mountain of the Lord, and it was the place where they entreated the Lord's favor. And they were glad when they said, let us go to the mountain, to the house, to the temple of the Lord. Jerusalem is a name that the Hebrews did not give to the city of Jerusalem. The Hebrews did not found the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is actually founded by the Canaanites in the early Bronze Age. And they named it Jerusalem after a Ugaritic god who meant the god of peace. And by the time the Hebrews come and they conquer Jerusalem in Judges chapter 10, I mean, Abraham met Melchizedek there in Genesis 14, and they conquer it later on in Judges. And then after they conquer it, the Jebusites fill the city of Salem again in Jerusalem. And then 400 years after the conquest, David annexes Jerusalem into Israel, takes it out of the tribe of Benjamin, puts it in the tribe of Judah, and he sets it up as his capital. And they didn't change the name Jerusalem from what it once was known as in Canaanite culture and language because the name perfectly played in to Israel's identity. It literally meant in Hebrew, the reign, R-A-I-N, of peace. Or as we commonly know it now, the place of peace. And there was a pull toward this city for the people of Israel because it is where God's presence dwelt. And of course, today, we don't have to go to the temple. We don't have to go to a church building. Today, the people of God see what? They see that all throughout the Old Testament, this mountain of the Lord, as it was once called, becomes the place where people entreat for the Lord's favor. They ask Him for things. And then we know later that the city of Jerusalem becomes encapsulated in God's very presence incarnate in King Jesus who is the true Jerusalem. He is the true Israel. He is the true temple. And do you remember uh, the author of Hebrews says in chapter 12, the author of Hebrews says, but I have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in the festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And in Christ, he is the embodiment of all that people longed to experience when they came to the temple. And there is a pull toward Jesus' presence. All throughout the Old Testament, there's a pull to the temple. All throughout the New Testament, there's a pull to whom? To Jesus. And who is pulled into the temple? Israel, yes, but also the outsiders. And who is pulled to Jesus in the New Testament? It's primarily the outsiders. It's interesting that the people who are pulled into Jesus' presence in the New Testament are actually not the church. 
They're actually one of the problems. The outsiders are pulled into the presence of Jesus in the New Testament. Well, what are we to make of this? We're to make something, I think, that's very helpful for us to remember. That the problems that emerge in the American church, just like in the first century church, the biggest problems that emerge in the church are not from the outside, they're from the inside. Let me give you a case in point. I mentioned outside, if you heard me, about the, the gentleman who is in Owasso this week, who's an enemy of the state of Iran. Do you know where the church is growing the fastest in the world right now? It used to be Africa, and now it's in Iran. It's hard, I know it's hard to gauge how fast the church grows, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. If it's not the it's close. The church in Iran, by most missiologists, is considered the fastest place where the church is growing. And you know what's second? Afghanistan. And this man is in, from Iran is in the U.S. right now. He's an enemy, enemy of the state to encourage American pastors. Isn't that amazing? Because he looks at the American church and he goes, they are too set on having a building. He looks at the American church, he says, they are too set on being doctrinaire and all, there's all this infighting. They are too set in trying to be right that they have forgotten what the chief characteristic and mark of a Christian is. It is love. Are you? I was away last weekend um, for, to officiate a wedding in California and we were sitting there talking with a lot of former students of ours in campus ministry, and we were talking about why, why they have either run from the church or why they've come back to it. And let me just give you some of the reasons that they said. Why people have run from the church. Some churches are clubby and exclusionary. There's a particular style, there's a liturgy, and all the regulars seem to know the language, but the outsiders always feel excluded. It's become clubby. Some churches offer easy, oversimplified sermons that provide scant help to those who are grappling with the real complexities of contemporary life. That's true. It's true. It's true even here sometimes. It's hard to minister to every one of you in particular as a preacher of God's Word. It's hard. And so sometimes our general truths get stretched out to cover everyone. It's hard. That's why we need community groups. Are you in one? Some churches' efforts to be relevant lure them into imitating popular culture and their language and their music and their technology. And all the while, they become much less efficient than their secular and contemporary counterparts. That's so true. Some churches are partisan. We're the only ones that have it right. We don't pray for other churches. Or we, we align ourselves with particular politics. Single issues drive the day. It's true. Some churches are just plain boring. <laughs> That's true too. Some of you are here at church for the first time in your life in a long, long time. Why are you here? Would you come to Christian worship despite all the distractions like children pulling fire alarms? And as um, one person came up to me after the service said, isn't it amazing? Like we can... We can still worship. Like, all of our stuff isn't ruined because the sprinklers in the gym didn't go off. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. With gratitude, we can sit here and we can have worship, and all of our stuff isn't ruined. That's amazing. We should be grateful for that. 
What are the benefits of coming to church? Here's number one, the number one benefit, I think, for me and for you and for my children. Here it is. A healthy church will help you get over yourself. We need the church to help us get over ourselves because we are driving ourselves to a thousand idols to, in order for them to satisfy us. And in the liturgy of the church, it helps remind you of the bigger picture. What else? A healthy church allows you to acknowledge your need for repentance and to have forgiveness granted. The church doesn't grant you forgiveness. The Lord Christ grants you forgiveness. But sometimes the only place where you can actually come and have that forgiveness pronounced over you is in the corporate body of the church. A healthy church is a place of divine encounter where you experience God's presence and peace in a new way. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Verse 2 says, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Verse 2 teaches us that it's possible to be in the city, but not yet be in the presence of God. And today it's possible to come to church and to remain anonymous and not be known and to stand there and to partake and to sing the songs and to listen to the sermon, but not actually pr practice repentance, not actually allow the Holy Spirit to make you more and more like His Son. And friends, He calls us to do that week after week after week. In Deuteronomy 16, 16, it says that you shall go up to the temple of the Lord three times a year for the festivals. And we have the greater privilege of coming not three times a year, but 52 times a year, once a week. And it is no less dramatic for us. Yes, you're in a gym. Yes. But it is the Lord's presence that changes you, and that will pull you. Because, listen, if you don't want to come to church, you can run. And we're going to let you. But when you run, you're going to find that the same problems that you had with the church are going to meet you in your new community wherever you run. Because the problem is not on the outside. The problem is on the inside. The problem is something called sin. And sin is taking a good thing that God has given us and twisting it to become an ultimate thing in your life and substituting it for God. And you will find yourself to be restless until you find yourself again back in His presence. There's a pull to God's presence. Oh, it is good when we come to the house of the Lord. And your feet can be standing in the city, and yet you cannot be in the temple yet. Allow Christ to draw you in. Allow him to remind you of his love for you. Because Christ was the great temple, the one who was destroyed, and in three days he rose again, that he might bring all of us in outsiders as all of us are. Remember, it was the Pharisees who were the enemy of the church in the ancient Near East. And today, in the Bible Belt of America, it is often those in the church. And I will say in this new members class here in a couple of hours that we are fierce at our church about preaching the gospel to Christians because many people grow up in our area and they think they understand the gospel, but they don't. Because they've still used Christianity to be what everybody uses, whatever it is they worship for, just to get God to give them the kind of lifestyle and opportunities that they would pursue if they weren't Christians. There's a pull into God's presence. The Israelites were pulled three times a year. 
And as believers, we get to be pulled in 52. But not only is there a pull of God's presence, but down in verses three to five, secondly, what do we find? There's the people in God's presence. There's a church that's um, near Oxford University. It's called All Dates Church. They were doing renovations on it not long ago. And you know what they found when they did the renovations? A crypt. A crypt with bodies. Because All Dates, you can go to London today and you can see it. All Dates is a church that's a thousand years old. The building, that is. And my friends who worship there, they said, you know what's amazing about All Dates? The church is unlike any church we'll ever go to again. It's ornate, it's beautiful, it's amazing. But do you know what the most beautiful thing in that church building is? Just like today, do you know what the most beautiful thing in our church is? The people. The people to your right and to your left are far more beautiful than the greatest architecture you could ever dream or imagine. And if you imagine yourself having a church where the fire alarm doesn't go off in corporate worship, it's not going to make us more beautiful because you are what makes us beautiful. The church, people in God's presence are what make the church so utterly beautiful. You can have an eclipse, as beautiful as the eclipse was, the most beautiful in 85 years in the sky, and you can have a beggar on the corner of 244 and Lewis who is dirty and disheveled and he hasn't had a shower in weeks. What's more beautiful, that eclipse or that beggar? That beggar every time. Because he's made in the image of God. And children, when you think about what beauty is, don't think created things like video games or buildings or cool places to look at. You look at your brother and your sister, your mom and your dad, and you say, they are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen because they are made in the image of God. And there is a pull in worship to God's presence. And us as God's people in his presence manifest to the world the incarnate, the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ in the way that we pray and the way that we serve, which takes us to the last part of Psalm 122, very briefly. The prayers of God's people in verses six to nine. It says what? That we will pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We will pray for its good. It is the prayers of God's people that mark it out as a unique community of the Lord who realize that their resources are not internal resources, which is what you'll find in every other club or social organization in the world. But the resources for Christians are always found outside of themselves. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the problem, again, is internal. It is on the inside. And broken and depraved as we are, we need to pull the fire alarm of prayer, as it were, every morning of our life. And we need to let God interrupt our life and the rhythms of our life to remind us that he still reigns and rules. And we need to make the space in order to pray. One of the marks of a church is, are they prayerful people? It's a convicting question for me. Prayer logically does not seem to be efficient as we determine efficiency but it is the most efficient things we can do as believers. And the upshot of Psalm 122 is that they prayed. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that they may be secure who love you. Peace with me in your walls and security within your towers for my brothers and my companions' sake, not just in the church, but outside of the church. In the fifth century, um, 
when barbarians were invading Rome. They were coming through Rome. There's a whole host of reasons why Rome fell. But when the barbarians, the Gauls, the, the Visigoths, and the Ostrogoths were coming into the Roman Empire and they were invading Rome, do you know where people turned when Rome was being invaded? The state was a mess because the army had turned against the generals, the people had turned against the army, and people were scattered. Rome had nothing like the military might that they tried to communicate through their marketing campaigns of the Pax Romana. They had been decimated, and they held up this false sense of security in the peace of Rome, and the Visigoths saw it, and they pierced it. They crossed the Danube, and they came into Rome. Do you know where people turned in Rome? They turned to the church who was still at that time, though Theodosius I had said it is going to be decreed to be the state religion. They turned to the church for their solace and for their help. And it was the Christians who came to the aid, not just of their own people, but of anybody who needed to have a place to stay. And friends, as a young church plant without a physical building, our opportunity to be the church now is as powerful as it ever will be one day when we have a building. To open wide your doors to those who don't agree with you politically or theologically or whatever, whatever area and to say, you may come to my house and we may dwell together. We may talk together. I will provide shelter for your kids. I will care for your kids so that you can go to work in the night shift. I will provide for you. Why? Because I am a Christian who has been adopted as a son of the king. And my priorities have been completely reoriented because when I was in the sanctuary of the Lord, I, was, I perceived the end of all of those who try to find satisfaction outside of Christ. So we will sing in the house of Zion. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be for us just a small picture of the foretaste of what it will be like when the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. When we are all resurrected, if Christ doesn't return before our death, together with him. And as you come forward for the supper this morning, I want you to think about all those Christians throughout the world who do worship just like we did this morning, but far worse. But when they get outside, you know who's waiting for them? Somebody with an AK-47. And when you come to this table, would you come with gratitude? Because why did people come into Jerusalem? What does it say in verse 4? It says, as it was decreed for Israel to come to the house of the Lord. Why? What's the purpose? To give thanks to the name of the Lord. And here we have a meal of thanks, the Eucharist, the meal of thanksgiving, for which Jesus offers us his body and his blood to encourage us because one day, someday, what we experience this morning may be the regular part of our life. When you give to the church, it won't be tax deductible anymore. When you give to the church, you may not know if you're gonna be interrupted or not by the authorities. When you give to the church, it may actually be illegal one day, someday. So let us give thanks in the liturgy and in the presence of the divine Savior who came and lived for you so that you might be able to find life in him. Amen? Let's prepare our hearts for worship, shall we? Father, as we worship you through the taking of the Lord's table, feeding on your body and your blood, would you remind us that it is good to be in the house of Zion? And would you help us to be people who are thankful 
Lord, we know that the church is not what the church could be because we are part of it. Help us, Lord, to see what the church could be because through your indwelling presence, you are making us new. Would you help us as your people? Yes, to understand what your word tells us about yourself, but help us as your people to lead lives of love and of gratitude. And for those friends who we dearly love who run from the church, Lord, I pray that they will see that the problems from which they think they are running will meet them wherever they go. But it's only in the church where we do not have to be at our best. You take us at our worst. In fact, you want us to bring our burdens to the table. Help us to do so now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.